Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. Let's uh, welcome our next A-team guest, uh, who is Nomfundo Moroi, uh, who is a lecturer at the Department of Speech, Language, Pathology and Audiology at the University of Edwatersrand. Nomfundo, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Patricia, for having me, and uh, good evening to the listeners. Namfundo, we are very concerned about minors. Last week, we also spoke about issues and plights that minors are facing, and this week, we're doing the same again, looking at uh, the number of hearing losses that have been um you know, aligned with minors who have reported it. Talk to us about what the, the you know, what is being done to protect minors in South Africa. Okay, no, thank you very much for that question. So at the moment, um, we, we have um, interventions um, that are looking at uh, preserving or protecting mine workers from noise exposures. But the challenge is this, um, applying these mechanisms kind of like gets uh, complicated. The challenge with hearing loss is it doesn't happen immediately. So a person will work um, in a noisy environment for a good 10 years before they realize that they have a hearing loss. And by the time they realize that, it's too late to do anything about it. And if you then do um, teaching and raising awareness before time, Sometimes people do not really understand that because their argument is, I mean, I've been here for five years, my hearing is fine, I haven't had any problems, and here you are telling me about hearing loss. What are you talking about? So this is where the challenge is. And then also with implementing hearing conservation programs, which are interventions or programs that we then um, use to make sure that we raise awareness, we try and protect people, and then those who are already exposed or have a hearing loss, we minimize the impact, are not um, readily rolled out in many industries, including the mining industry. And then that raises a challenge as to how then do we contain this noise exposure. And also the lack of understanding about the impact of noise also contributes in this um, um, high rise of hearing losses. Because by the time you have that hearing loss, we you have you lose your job because you become a health and safety hazard. If you cannot hear people talking to you, if you cannot hear sirens in the, in the mine, if you cannot hear cars, then you become a health hazard. They let you go. So these are all the challenges that we have to engage with, and also there are factors that we need to think about. The fact that hearing loss, um, you have you can have two people working in the same environment but one will have a hearing loss and the other won't have a hearing loss. And then those challenges, so those, that might be based on age, it might be based on gender, it might be based on whether you're on medication for other diseases. So a whole lot of factors come into play, which then makes it difficult to then control for noise, even when you have these interventions in place or these programs in place. But because of all these other factors, and also we can't control for someone. So at work, we can try and make sure that we have interventions. But when that person leaves their workplace and expose themselves to noise uh, outside work hours, we cannot control for that. So these are all the challenges that we have as far as uh, noise con- uh, uh, containing noise in workplaces. And now, also, okay, yes, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, and also looking at resources, I mean, uh, hearing loss is competing with other diseases. Like, I mean, everyone right now, we are worried about COVID. We are worried about HIV AIDS. We're worried about TB. And also with the mind specifically, they were just uh, dealing with um, a litigation where they're looking at silicosis, where mine workers uh, sued the mining industry for the chest problems that they had while working in the mines. So with all those challenges that are there, the focus tends to be on the diseases. It tends to be on safety because with safety, we know if you get into a mine without your safety head, if a rock falls on you, you die immediately. But with hearing loss, you still have 15 years to live and you only lose your hearing. If you put it that way, you don't lose your life. But we don't think about the quality of life that the person has after incurring a hearing loss. Uh, Nomfundo, you know the South African Constitution guarantees workers that their working environment should not be harmful to their health or well-being. And this lies heavily on employers. So employers need to ensure that that environment is conducive and uh, does eliminate any health risks. As much as health and safety is also an individual employee's um, you know, responsibility. So how do we as South Africans and those in the mining sector hold accountable the mining companies for not ensuring that they test the miners, they make sure that the environment is conducive and that they minimize the possibility of hearing loss? So um, the one thing that we can do to hold the mining uh, sector um, responsible or accountable is to start by raising awareness and actually going in there and try and do research to see how many people are affected, which is what we're doing at the moment. But the challenge with that, um, like I was saying, here in conservation programs are implemented in some sectors, but that there are complexities around that, so there are challenges around that. So it is not a question of having a program in place or an intervention in place. It's making sure that it's implemented uh, in a way that is effective, where mine workers, for instance, which I think is important because they are the end users, they are engaged, they are consulted when these programs are being implemented. In most cases, that doesn't happen because for me, the argument is if I know what I'm protecting, protecting myself against, then I will do it. As opposed to being told, you need to cover your hearing, but you don't tell me why. And then another challenge we face with uh, holding um, the mining sector accountable, they, they have authority as to who gets into the mine to see what is happening. So if they will not let us in to see um, and do these studies and interview people, then we do not know. So we can only rely on the statistics that they give. And also another way, which for them truly doesn't mean much, because then if you um, people are incurring a hearing loss um, in the mining sector, then you have to compensate them. But when you look at the compensation that people get, it's really not that much. So the mining industry can afford to pay out compensations and then get more people coming in. But if we had a, a, a way of making sure that we held them accountable, like um, okay, I, I don't want to promote a situation where we have another litigation like we did with silicosis. But I think in most cases, that is when 
people get to act. Like you are right, our constitution says you need to provide a safe working uh, environment. But in most cases, we worry about safety because it happens now and uh, people die now. And with hearing loss, like I mentioned, it takes a long time. By the time you hold someone accountable, I already have a hearing loss. So prevention becomes a problem. So we now deal with the aftermath of a person who has lost their hearing and the mining sector will pay out, production will cease for that moment. But we're going to get in more people who are going to do the work. So I think instead of thinking about how do we hold uh, the mining industry accountable, we need to think about how do we protect the workers? How do we raise awareness? How do we create relationships with the mining industry where we can be able to come in as independent researchers and stakeholders to work with them to try and find ways that work to prevent um, their workers being exposed to noise? Because by the time we hold them accountable, it's too late. But let's be proactive. What can we do? What partnerships can we form? What understanding can we have? And if we're all thinking about the worker, and we see the worker is a person, not the driller who just goes into the mine and gets the work done. But we see a father, we see a brother, we see a grandfather, we see a husband. We put a human element there, then it becomes easier. And then we can go out and advocate for the safety, health and safety of the workers. And other things will fall into place. So it's more about involving the end users, empowering them, giving them the information, making sure that they are knowledgeable about what their rights are and what role also they need to play in protecting themselves. And I also have a challenge with saying this because we then say the responsibility lies with the employee and we can excuse the employer. And it shouldn't be that in the case. The employer should be creating a safe environment. And if they can do that, then the worker will be safe. But given the situation that we're working with, we need to actually then now empower the employee to take care of themselves and be mindful of the fact that if they don't then protect their hearing, the implications lie with them in, in later years. But so Nomfundo, you, you, you were talking about the fact that the mining sector um, restricts access into who goes in to do research and also that they you are reliant on the statistics that they you know, feed out to you. So how do you then best see this interaction with the mining sector? As much as it is the responsibility of the employee, but without the correct resources that should be constitutionally um, provided by the employer, which is the mining companies, how will then the, the, the interactions between stakeholders, the miners, and the mining companies and researchers like yourself be able to protect the employees? How will you get access to group of employees to educate them so that we are proactive because I love being proactive but my question is the how so you are right in saying how do we do this I think the one thing that um, we need to be mindful of I mean what I realized after doing my study because yes I was denied access and I ended up not even getting the data that I was looking for but what I failed to understand was to assess the context and the climate at the time when I wanted to do my study, when the mining industry was still dealing with the silicosis case, because the argument was people came in, asked us about our data as far as silicosis is concerned. We gave them the data and the next thing, we're being sued. 
So now you want to step the same thing where you're asking about hearing loss, we give you the information, and then we end up on the papers again, and then we're being sued. So now it's all about framing um, the purpose of what you want to do, understanding why you're working in. So when you are having these discussions with the mining uh, sector, you need to acknowledge that, you know what, you need to protect yourself, and I understand why. But my being here is not about being a watchdog where I am coming to expose you and say you have failed to protect the workers. But I'm actually here to help with how best we then address the situation so that you do not find yourself in a similar position. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. It it really Uh sounds like we are trying to tiptoe around mining companies who have uh, mined resources, richly uh, gotten gains and uh, profits at the expense of the health, safety and security of the mining communities and the miners. It sounds like we're tiptoeing as opposed to, you know, really saying this is what it is. We need to get research so we can protect you for the future, but mainly protect those who are working within the mining sector. Because if we're coming with a a very fluffy way of doing things, nothing will ever get done. Truth of the matter, the argument can be we have our own researchers who are looking into these things. But the truth is they're not being independent. But also as objective researchers, we need to make sure that we do not make them out to look like an enemy. Because if we do that, then they will close access however you look at it. Mm. At the expense of our people who work in the mines. It it has been for years to come and it's going to continue that way if we do not change the approach. So we need to change our approach for the sake of the workers. Because if we're going in to point fingers and find fault, which are they, they're not denying that. They're just saying, leave us to to maintain this within our walls. And we know when they do it that way, they're not going to be objective. So that is why we need to come in. But also how we go in becomes important. So I hear you that you say we keep towing. But maybe at this stage, it's the best thing to do while we create these relationships. And then once we're in there and we have an understanding, then it's easier to work with the issues and bring them to the fore. But with the aim of helping and uh, and protecting rather than pointing out their mistake and exposing them, which is what happened with silicosis. So if we take the same route, we are not going to win. So I, I hear you, but also we just need to be pragmatic. We need to assess the climate and we need to know what our goal is. And so- we all agree that we're thinking about the worker who is then ultimately the exposed person how then do we go about it? What is the sure role? What is the role of the Department of Mineral Resources, the Department of Labor, in um, moving this forward? Because as independent researchers, clearly you are being blocked from gaining access um, in order for you to do your research, and this is clearly counterproductive on its own because you you need to knock at the doors of the mining companies, who then tell you that they've got their in, own internal uh, researchers. So, what is the role of the Department of Mining uh, Mineral Resources? and of labor so when i uh, encountered challenges with accessing the mining industry i went to the dmr and the response i got was they can recommend to the mines what they need to do but they cannot tell the mines what to do and their role is once they know what the challenges are they go in because they become the watchdogs then they go in to say 
you fail to comply with the following. Therefore, depending on what the, the offense is, these are the sanctions that we're going to put through. So that is their role. So they recommend to say, you know what, you need to have these people on board, but we will not tell you to do it or we will not force you to do it. And organizations have their own autonomy where they choose who comes in and who doesn't. So they will listen to what they want to and they will take what they want and leave the rest. So I engaged intensively with the DMR and I had people trying and saying, speak to this person, speak to that person. I went their whole route. But at the end of the day, the, um, the access light with each specific mind where they'll say we are doing it or we're not doing it. So that is where the challenge is. Catch-22, because- definitely a catch-22. Stay with us, Nomfundo. Let's go to a bit of a break. We are talking, A-teamers, about a hearing loss, um, which is a neglected hazard for miners in South Africa. Please do call in and contribute if you are a miner or you have a family member who works in a mine. And tell us how critical you feel that um, hearing loss should be uh, put in the forefront. 011-714-2006. SMSs go to 4139. One WhatsApps on 0614-104-107. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Health Conversations. Still in conversation with Nomfundo, who's a lecturer at the Department of Speech, Language, Pathology and Audiology at the University of Witwatersrand. She's done some incredible research and is still um, moving forward to ensuring that hearing loss within the mining sector is something that is not neglected because it is a reality, even though it takes time um, to, to show itself in the in the victims. Nomfundo, um, I've got some messages here from our A-teamers. This one mm-hmm. says... Um, and it's from Brand. Brand says, don't the miners do a medical examination annually to test their physical ability to do their work, like hearing tests, lung capacity tests, eye tests, and all that? It could pick up the problems earlier and help the workers. Yes, so th- th- that is the plan right now where the mines are trying to know, um, monitor any shift that happens in hearing. But like I, like I said, um, it takes quite a long time to actually see the difference or to see that shift. So depending on where you are placed, so they might do it biannually, so like every six months, or when you take leave, when you come back from, from your leave, that they do another um, a baseline, uh, sorry, another assessment to see if there has been a shift. So, yes, that is a standard protocol that most mines are implementing. But with that also, with people getting used to the system and knowing how it, how it works, they also develop ways of trying to beat the system. So it, it happens and it's implemented, but... Um, it is helping because now we try and monitor and the moment we see that there's a shift then we try and find other ways or maybe place a person from a less noisy environment but also what has been a challenge with that where we try to apply what we call admin uh, administrative controls like so shifting people from a noisy place to a quieter place you find that some people are skilled in um in the job that they're doing. So you find that they are the only drillers. So now to take that driller and place them elsewhere, it means that production stops. So they are complex, like I was saying, the hearing conservation programs are there, but because of the complexity surrounding 
noise and its management and its manifestation, there are a lot of things that uh, implementers have to think about, monitors need to think about, people are exposed to noise need to think about. So it's not a simple thing of we have a plan in action, we are monitoring as we go along the way, therefore things should fall into play. It needs much more than that. Sure. Um, King St. Nazi on SMS says, uh, we'll never solve uh, the issue of mine workers. We must recall that some of uh, the people from government are the owners of these mines. Another message here from Andres in Kwakwa. Andres says, Mine is, mines are no child's play. Until you, your guest works in a mine and does her research underground, maybe it might work. I'm on a mine and a logistics contract. I'm only allowed where my duties are. Very strict for an ordinary person to investigate. And I ask, yes, for health and safety, it should be strict. But for research purposes, to better the mine, the mine's compliance, the environment for the mine, the environment for the uh, mine workers, these strict rules and regulations should be eased down for people like yourself, Nomfundo, who are researchers just trying to better the environment. Because if they're that strict, even when you want to offer help, then clearly there's something that's been hidden. It could be cutting costs, like you're saying that when they're doing these annual examinations, people can cut corners and so on and so forth, just so that production is not hampered and the bottom line is never jeopardized. No, that is true. But remember, research is not only about just going in and finding out what is happening. We need to share what we find. So it's also being careful about how you share it. Like, I mean, for instance, here I am today talking about noise-induced hearing loss. How did I get here? I went and I did did research and I shared that with different people. And then that is how the interest was garnered to actually get to this point. So if there was a way, which is what I think the minds are doing, where they say we'll get our own people who are not necessarily going to do research, but try and contain the situation. But as a researcher, my responsibilities lie beyond just getting in there and getting the information. Once I have that information, what do I do with it? Which was another challenge when uh, I was having these discussions with the minds. So some of the things they were saying were like, so if we give you the data and you find problems, how are you going to make sure that you report the problems without making us look bad? Are you going to allow us to have access to your data where we tell you, you can publish this, but you cannot publish that? And I said, no, I I cannot do that. I have to be true to the data, to what I am finding. So I have to report things as, as I see them or as evidence presents them. So they know already, this I think we need to appreciate, they know that they can do things better and they know that they're cutting corners. So it is not going to be easy to just let people in and expose that. So I think what they want them to do at the moment is to clean their house. But what they fail to realize is they cannot do it on their own. So one of the commenters said, until you work in the mines and you go underground, and I agree with, um, with him, because one of the papers that we looked into was, because I'm a audiologist, so I am trained on noise and, and, and its impact and how to assess anything that has to do with noise. So my argument was, if they allow us to work in the mines, 
then we'll be able to monitor and do all these other things and implement accordingly and see what is happening. But if you go to the mines right now, you will hardly find an audiologist. And the argument is we are expensive. So they'll rather get someone that they will train in a week. So your odometrician or constitution, so they train them in the week, a play shop, and then they're the ones doing the work because they are much, they are much more affordable. They only send their patients or their mine workers to us when they now have a hearing loss and we need to do a diagnostic assessment and confirm the hearing loss for compensation purposes. But what they are not understanding is we also now know how to work with prevention and how to put in place uh, interventions to prevent hearing loss as opposed to managing the problem. But they will not let us in. By the time we, are, we get involved, we're just confirming the problem to say, yes, there is a problem. So these are all the challenges that we are facing. So they understand researchers have a responsibility that lies far beyond just finding problems if there are problems. But those need to be communicated to the right people because that is how then we effect change. If we don't do it that way, then there will be no change. So for them, they want change but they want it their way, mm-hmm. not, the, not the objective way. Well, that means we still have a long way to go. Good luck with all your research, Nomfund, and I'm really hoping that you will get to the bottom of this. Have a very good evening. All right. Thank you very much. Great pleasure. It's uh, just a, sh- a minute after 11. Let's go to Greg Hose with the final bulletin.